just curious, how many were here Christmas Eve for our super spreader event? Uh, yeah, yeah. Now we're seeing the results, right? <laughs> how many in here uh, have had COVID? Can I see your hands? Yeah, me too. I even got the shot and I still got COVID. I guess I'm now in line for Omicron. Omicron sounds gentle and sweet. So, you know, welcome Omicron and let's get this thing over with. That's kind of the way the Spanish flu went. It just kind of, you know, wound itself down. So hopefully that's where we are. We're coming close to that. I really had in mind starting this new series with, with a much bigger crowd, but I am so grateful for each and every one of you that braved Omicron to come out here today, you that are masked and you that are unmasked. Thank God for all of you. So we're starting a series that's uh, called I've Got the Power, and um, I, I, I want to start it out a, a little, little bit odd in this. Um, I didn't do this in the first service, and I'm going to do it in this service. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. How many of you would say, I'm not really sure what anybody else is thinking. I'm not really sure what any else, anybody else might do. But Randy, I'm going to tell you, if you could see in my heart what God sees, I am somebody that I want the power of God to be able to rest on my life, to express itself through my life. I want to be so available to God that, that no matter what, His power can be upon me and work through me. I want to be that person. I don't really care what anybody else is thinking or doing. I'm, I'm there. I want to be that person. Can I see your hands? Wonderful. Wonderful. That's even better than what, what I ever could have expected. All right. Let me start with a couple questions. What do you picture when you hear of the power of God resting on someone's life? What, what kind of picture comes to mind? What might that look like and feel like meaning if I have the power or you have the power of God resting on your life what would it look like to others what would our life look like circumstantially and what would it feel like to us having the power of God what would we feel like inside so with that in mind <laughs> I'm going to do something that I hope is a little bit fun for you uh, I'm going to play three songs and for you that are watching online unfortunately you're not going to be able to hear the songs um, for various algorithmic reasons but anyway I'm going to play three songs and I want you to kind of pick mentally that's the song that I think best represents what someone would feel like inside if they had the power of God resting on their life um, I hope you're tracking with me on this so it's going to be like song number one song number two song number three and you're, you're asking yourself which one do I think is the best representative of what it feels like inside for someone that has the power of God resting on their life okay here we go song number one Okay, that's number one. Think about it, your choice. Number two.
All right? What does it feel like to have the power of God in your life? Selection number two. Selection number three. right uh song one i can see clearly song two uh don't worry be happy song three mad world that by the way how, how many think that might be neil young's love child that last guy <laughs> some of you don't who's neil young you're saying <laughs> uh which of you would say what it feels like to have the power of god in your life would be best represented by song one let me see your hands okay same way in the first service song two see your hands there were a little bit more in the first service than this but okay Song three, it was identical, both services. Both services thought it was least likely that the third song, Mad World, would be representative. Now, as this message goes on, you'll get a chance to sift through that and think through it, and perhaps you'll come to the same conclusion, perhaps you'll come to a different conclusion. Let me tell you an interesting story that happened. This church was about three years old, and... uh, we were at Ballinger Creek, Ballinger Creek Elementary School, and I thought we were doing pretty good. You know, we were, I don't know, maybe running a couple hundred people by that time. And, you know, people were, were coming to Christ, putting their trust in Him, becoming His follower. We were seeing lives changed. We were seeing good things occurring in people's lives and relationships and so forth. And so I, I was just personally thrilled that it was happening. Well, there was this lady that was in the church, and she had one of those lady friends that was one of these professional Christians. You guys know what I mean, professional Christians. They, they go and they scout things out, and they give thumbs up or thumbs down on, on everything because they know everything there is to know about what God is doing. And so this professional Christian lady came with her friend to our church. And so she was assessing whether we make the cut or not. And so at the end of it, uh, I had a conversation with her, and I was interested to hear what she was going to say. And she was initially kind of polite but then she said you know Randy it's nice what you guys are doing here but the truth is this church doesn't have the power of God and I was like oh hmm okay well what makes you say that I said can you, can you explain to me a little bit what that means or what that would look like she said okay yeah let, let me explain to you my church and her church was a at that time a prominent church in Hagerstown by the way 30 years later I tried to find that church desperately I spent probably over a half hour I couldn't even find if they exist and I don't mean that in any, any negative way, but it's just life the way it is. It was a prominent church at the time. 
Anyway, she says, let me just tell you, we had a service last week, and at the end of the service, we had people come forward. And we had our pastors and I guess our elders or whatever, and, and they, were, they were doing, you know, the, the holy boink. You, you ever seen that? They, you, you, do, you do the boink. I, I can do that, by the way, uh, if you want. I can, I can boink you. Uh, <laughs> anyway, they were doing the, the, the holy boink, and she said, I'm going to tell you, when, when that guy's hand got on my head, I just collapsed. And she said, and Randy, and Randy, my head hit the floor, and it made the sound of a hollow coconut when it bounced on the floor. And at that point, I'm like, I'm dying. I'm just dying inside, trying not to laugh. And she says, and I didn't feel anything. And I was supposed to say, my line was supposed to be, wow, the power of God. How else could your head bounce on the floor like a coconut and you not get hurt? That's amazing. That's the biggest display of the power of God I could imagine. That's what she wanted to hear me say, and what she heard was me laughing uncontrollably. <laughs> I just couldn't take anymore. I, just, I said, can you please explain to me how that's the power of God? I said, so when your head bounced and you got up off the floor and you were not hurt, um, you know, did, did you suddenly become more Christ-like? Did, did you give yourself in sacrificial love to the ministry of God from that point on? Did you become a, a stronger witness for Christ? Did you start telling more people about Christ? Did you start giving more money to the cause of Christ? You know, on and on I went. You know, I'm thinking very logically and rationally. And she's just looking at me like, you clearly don't get it. It's about the head bounce. It's, it's, now, she didn't say that, but that was her, her you know, feedback, that she thought I was just so spiritually low on the totem pole that I couldn't even understand what she was talking about. Now, I don't think that this lady uh, is that unusual. In fact, I suspect that even in this room, were we to sift through your hearts and minds, we have a pro head bounce coconut bounce constituency and an anti head bounce constituency some of us lean when we hear about the power of God we lean toward envisioning signs and wonders the overtly supernatural it doesn't matter what what the cause is it doesn't matter what, it, what it's about because we haven't thought through that necessarily but it's the wow it's the wow factor there are people that fill stadiums false teachers false apostles false prophets false healers they fill stadiums and they fill their pockets with big bucks by these means wonders signs and wonders because they know that the average person doesn't really study their bible very well and they don't really understand what the scripture teaches about god's willingness and methodology in doing signs and wonders which he does you by the way i said this in first service i want to get this down in this service too because some of you will um no doubt somebody will come out of here saying something like this that, that pastor up at that church he doesn't believe in miracles he doesn't believe that god does miracles today so i want to say it very clearly I believe that God can and does do miracles. But I am going to do some teaching later on in this message that you probably really need about the place of signs and wonders and miracles and so forth like that. So most of us, I think, when we hear about a person's life that the power of God is resting on it, we envision miracles, overt supernatural miracles and activity, that sort, signs and wonders and so forth. But what if that's not at all the real clear signs of the power of God. What, what if the power of God, the real power of God, what God says himself is his power, resting on somebody's life and in somebody's life, what, what if it doesn't look like anything we imagine? Doesn't look like, doesn't look like the first two songs. Doesn't look like I can see clearly now. Doesn't look like uh, don't worry, be happy. 
what if it looked more like Mad World? What, what, if, what if we had the power of God resting on our life, but we didn't feel in any way, shape, or form that we did, and maybe because we don't think we have the power of God in our life, we, we don't do certain things because inside we don't feel adequate, we don't feel confident, we don't feel courageous enough, we don't, we don't feel skilled enough. What, what if our lack of understanding what the power of God really looks like, what, what if it might be holding us back from our experiencing of it and other people experiencing of it? So I'm saying all that just to kind of get us started, set up. So if you were going to go to a Christian bookstore and you were looking for a book on prayer, how many would buy a book that was titled something like this? I ask for everything and I got nothing I asked for and it changed my life the power of prayer how many are buying that book yeah it's gonna sit on the shelf isn't it <laughs> I ask for everything I got nothing that I asked for and it changed my life the power of prayer now that, that's not what we want to hear but what what if what if that could be true what, what if no, the power of no, is sometimes the very place that we can experience the power of God? When God says no, that's in the name of this message, the power of no. I'm going to take you to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians was written in about 57 AD. It's about 22 years after the apostle Paul put his trust in Christ, became his follower. He would have another 10 years after this, 32 years total, that he serves Christ. But he's 22 years into serving Christ when he sends these words to the Corinthian assembly that he had planted some years earlier. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Because of these surpassingly great revelations, if you read the verses before, he talks about being caught up into heaven and seeing things and hearing things that no human should see or hear or could ever repeat. So he's, he's been given these surpassing revelations by God. How many of you knew that the Apostle Paul was chosen of God to write 13 books of the New Testament. How many knew that? Okay, vast majority do. That's great. So he received these phenomenal revelations from God. So because of, because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming, what? Conceited. I was given, I was given, it's a gift God gave him, some would argue it wasn't God that gave him that, but it says, I was given, however you want to look at it, I was given a thorn in my flesh. The word flesh there, it's a Greek word, sarx. It doesn't mean soma. It's not body. It's not talking about a physical problem. Many people have said this was a physical problem Paul's talking about, that he had bad eyes or he had malaria or something like that. There's no indication. In fact, this verse, if you look at it, it tells us exactly what the mysterious thorn in the flesh was. So he says, I was given... In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a what? Messenger of who? So I know we're small numbers, but you've got bigger boys than that. Just pretend you're yelling at your kids or your spouse. That's all you got to do. A messenger of who? Satan. To do what? No way. No way. No way. What? This guy is God's key servant on planet earth and he is saying that because it was dangerous that he would get full of himself he would get conceited that that God had to give him a thorn in his flesh 
a messenger of Satan to torment him. Now, this term thorn, it's really interesting. You find it in, in the um, Old Testament book of uh, Numbers, and it talks about the Canaanites that were living in the land that the Israelites had to drive out. Uh, they are called thorns. Thorns. It's repeated in Judges. It's repeated in Joshua. So thorns are people that are antagonistic to the work and will of God. So he's saying that there was an angel, an enemy angel, a satanic angel that was given an assignment to just make his life miserable, to just push back against him on everything that he did. And if you read much about Paul, you find that nothing was easy for this guy in 32 years. Everything that could conceivably go wrong, it goes wrong with Paul. Let me give you just one example. He's being carted off to Rome for charges, of course, that he didn't do other than just speaking about Christ. He's being carted off to Rome, and he gets caught in a hurricane. He's driven by a hurricane, his ship out of control for two weeks. Then the ship crashes. Then he's, then he's in the water, you know, just trying to flail around for his, his, his life. He makes it from the water to the shore on an island named Malta. You read about it on your own. It's kind of comedic. And so he's cold, man. He's got hypothermia. He's been in the water, you know, all night. And so he, he's rubbing his hands, I guess, by the fire trying to get warm. And how many remember what happens? Anybody? Say it out. A snake, a poisonous snake, a viper, jumps out of the fire or somewhere in the proximity and fastens on his hand. At that point, if I'm Paul, I'm like, you've got to be kidding. You got, I mean, I've been in a hurricane, I, I mean, and now this. So the snake is hanging off his hand. The islanders are terrified. They're thinking the guy's dead for sure, but he, when he doesn't die, then they want to worship him. It's, it's a hilarious scene if you look at it. But he's just had one thing go bad after another. This enemy angel was assigned to Paul to make his life hard and difficult on multiple levels and this part you're not going to like and God allowed it and he was God's favorite man on earth and God did it so that God's power could continue to operate in him and through him because God can work with people that are humble and that don't have a lot of self-confidence, but what he can't work through are people that are conceited one way or another. So God, God was more concerned about his power being able to be expressed through Paul than he was concerned about Paul's, you're going to hate this part, interior misery and exterior misery. You say, but, but Randy, that was, just, that was just like a short time. No. <laughs> that was his whole life. So let's go on. It's going to tell us more. Three times, this is how bad this thing was. Three times, Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Now, I'll bet you, there's more than one of us in this room that have begged God at times for something. We, we were pleading with God to do something, to, to bring relief to us or to rescue us or to do something for us that we knew was well within the context of God's will, the context of God's word. Paul knew that it was, it was totally a valid request for him to be relieved of this pain. In Paul's mind, he thought, man, if I can just get rid of this, this constant hassle Everywhere I go, everything I say, everything I do, the worst construction is put on it. 
I'm persecuted, chaos is, it breaks out everywhere. If I could get rid of that, man, Lord, I could be so much more effective. And God says, no. He says, my, my grace is sufficient. My power, my power is made perfect in weakness. He's saying, Paul, it's just better that you're struggling, man. It's just better that you're not feeling in full stride. Therefore, so Paul's reaction to this, he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my what? Weaknesses. Now, what does he mean by weakness? Weakness is it's that thing that brings me to the place where I feel like I can't do this anymore. It hurts too much to be me. It's, it's too difficult. God, you've got, to, you've got to step in. You've got to do something. You've got to show up. That's weakness. Weakness is that thing that brings us to that point of desperation where we're pleading with God. When things are going smooth, it's pretty easy to just go through life and forget about God. But, but when things hurt, when it hurts to be us, we start, we start feeling our weakness and we start saying, God, you've got to help me. Please help me. That's what he means by weakness. More gladly, he says, about my weaknesses why why Paul are you just a masochist are you just crazy so that Christ's what power may what rest on me whoa man you know I was having a conversation with you guys earlier and and I asked you I said how many of you would like to have the power of God rest on your life and I'm pretty sure every hand went up after that is it still up you don't have to tell me but I hope it is it goes on that is why Paul's talking again that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses whatever brings me to that place where I'm saying God please help help I don't know what to do I don't know where to go I don't know how to react I, I can't take it whatever it is weaknesses I delight in weaknesses I delight in what's that say the weaknesses is one thing. How many of you know the insults are something else? I don't like them when somebody insults me. I'm, to this day, I, 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 I laugh to myself occasionally and think I'm almost beyond humiliation. <laughs> the older you get, the closer you get to being beyond humiliation. <laughs> but I don't like insults. How many of you, you like insults? Can I just see your hands? Because I'll give you some if you, if you really. I, I'm going to try to insult you some if I can, sir. <laughs> now, we, we know. I'm a creature made by Christ for Christ in his image. I, I deserve, every human deserves to be respected. Insults is just kind of cuts. But Paul, he says, I delight in feeling weak, weaknesses. I delight in insults, in hardships. None of us in this room likes it when things don't go well. That's hardships. They come in all different forms. In persecutions. Now, this is really bad. This is, these are the people that were attacking him just because he's a Christian. And I'll bet you some of us in this room have experienced that very thing. I'll bet your family members have attacked some of us. I'll bet your friends have attacked some of us. I'll bet your people at work. I'll bet you you've, you've been penalized at times in the work environment, the work world, because you were overtly a follower of Jesus. That's persecution. Now, that's mild persecution, but it's persecution. In difficulties, for when I am, what's the word again? Third time he's used it. Weak, weakness, weak. When I'm weak, then I am what? Strong. The Lord says, Paul, I'm not taking it away. I'm, I'm not going to make it easy for you. I, I can't. Paul, if you want my power to be able to rest on your life, you got to stay humble. You got to stay dependent. You got to stay where you're. You're so dependent upon me that you're not going to be able to make it without me. If you if you're willing to stay there, Paul, 
then my power can rest on you and I can work in you and I can work through you. How many of you, you you'll, you'll just say this, you know, Randy, I think I'm getting a different image of what it looks like to have the power of God on my life. It's a little bit different than what I had in mind. How, how many of you be honest enough, humble enough to admit that? It's a little bit different. Yeah. But it's okay because the Spirit of God knows this and He brought us all here today because He wants to get us to think a little more widely and to trust Him more deeply. So, what did this look like? Let's take a deeper look. What did this power look like? I mean, let, let's look at Paul's life because he's the guy that's got the power of God resting on him. We've seen a little bit what it looked like and felt like, but I want to take you deeper into what it looked like and then what it felt like. So let's look at another portion right from 2 Corinthians once again. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure, if you read the verses before, he's talking about the message of Christ. The jars of clay, he's talking about his own humanity and all the weaknesses inherent with being human. He said, we have this treasure, the message of Christ, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power, dunamis is the Greek word, that doesn't mean anything significant other than it's just ability, power is from God and not from who? Not from us. Paul, Paul didn't want people to think that he was just passing on some clever idea or philosophy that he had concocted, that this was about Christ. This was about the creator of the universe, not, not about him. So now he's going to talk to us about what, what did it look like to have the power of God resting on his life. We are hard-pressed on every side. <laughs> How many of you have experienced some pressure or some stress in the last month? See your hands? How many of you hate when I keep asking you to put your hand up? <laughs> Kim says, they hate when you do that. And I'm like, I don't care. I love it. <laughs> you know why I do that? Because I feel like, okay, you're tracking with me. We're communicating. We're having a conversation. And, and it helps me to know that, you know, we're, we're conversing. We're having a conversation. So we've all experienced pressure. We've all experienced stress. And none of us like it. None of us. Paul says, I had it from every angle. That's what it looked like in Paul's life to have the power of God on his life. He says, we're hard-pressed from every side, but we're not crushed. So in other words, you, you, know, you get to that point where you're almost ready to fly to pieces, but not quite, you're, or, or crushed inwardly where you just collapse, but not quite. We're perplexed, but we're not what? Not in despair. He says, man, I, I get where, you know, I, I'm, I just don't know what's going on. I just, I cannot figure it out. But I'm not in despair. I know God is good. I, I, I know God is with me, in essence, so I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. No matter what, what's, what people are doing to me, that doesn't reflect what God thinks about me. I'm going to say that again for some of you. No matter what people do to me, say about me, that doesn't reflect what God really feels or thinks about me. Some of you, somebody may, maybe needs to tuck that one away. He says, struck down, but not destroyed. So this is what it looked like. I'm not sure that's what I would have thought it would look like so let's go on to the next phase he says through glory and dishonor so so some people really appreciated him they gave him honor and glory but other people just they just dishonored him they just treated him like refuse like, like a maniac like a fool bad report and good report some people put the worst construction on everything that he said or did i bet you some of you have had that people just put the worst construction they read your motives terribly 
Good report and bad report. Genuine, he knew he was genuine. He knew he was serving God and serving people, yet regarded as imposters. People always saying, hey, that guy's got a, he's got a hidden agenda. You know, he's trying to, trying to build his fortune up or something like that, but, but he had to live through it. Regarded as unknown. Uh, known, yet regarded as unknown. Meaning that, ah, he's a nobody. Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. And he was literally physically beaten. If you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25 through 32, you will see the list of beatings. He gets very specific about the beatings he, he endured. Sorrowful, yet always doing what? Rejoicing. Now, that, that doesn't make any sense. How can you be sorrowful and yet rejoicing? I mean, how, how can these two different emotions live side by side? in the same human mind and heart I don't know but I do know and so do many of you it doesn't make rational sense but you that are Christ followers have probably like me experienced it the, the sorrow can be gut wrenching sorrow and yet in the midst of it you still you rejoice because you know who God is you know what his plan is you know what his purpose is you know that he's with you you know that he's for you he'll never leave you never forsake you and somehow these two very opposite emotions can coexist in the heart of a real follower of Christ. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, and Paul was really poor, yet making many rich. Meaning that as he shared Christ with them, he changed their life in this world and in eternity to come. Making many rich. Having, how much, how much did Paul say? Nothing. nothing. Having nothing yet making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing everything. What did he mean by that? He means that in this world, he talks in other places about just having rags and going without food for days and stuff like that. So technically speaking, he had nothing when it comes to the material realm, but he said, I possess all things. What did he mean? Because he possessed the kingdom of God. He, he was possessed by Christ, and therefore he possessed Christ. He was waiting on his eternal inheritance. First Peter says in verse, chapter 1, verse 13, we're to put all our hope on the grace that's going to be brought to us when Christ returns. It says we have an inheritance in heaven. Jesus said, you know, lay up your treasures in heaven, not on earth, because, you know, wherever your, heart, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. It's either there or it's not there. Paul was counting on it being there. So this is what it looked like. Think of the words in Mad World. Do they, do they make a little more sense now? I know the song's a little dark and gloomy, but this guy that had the power of God resting on his life, does that sound like a sweet, smooth ride to you? It doesn't to me. So let's go further. What did this power feel like? Now, we've gotten some hints already. We see what it looked like circumstantially in his life. Things were not going well. Things were not going the way that he wanted them to go. In fact, almost nothing was going the way that he wanted it to go, and yet the power of God was on his life, resting on his life, working through his life. So, so what did it feel like to be Paul? We got a hint. He said sorrowful, but yet rejoicing. So we, we know there's these internal conflicts. There was, there was a real emotion being felt by this human being. So let's take a deeper look at what this emotion was like pause for a minute and let's ask ourselves a question is the quality of our lives determined by our present inner enjoyment our, our emotional state we know that you can have everything we, we meet people in you know on the news all the time that 
they're the wealthiest and the most powerful and the most talented and the most attractive and blah 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 and yet we find out they're miserable they're drugging themselves up they're doing everything they can to escape themselves so having exterior circumstances doesn't mean that you're you're happy fulfilled on the inside so we rightly know that the quality of your life when it comes to your emotional state it, it's it's how you're feeling inside if you're happy if you're contented if you have meaning if you're satisfied if you have enthusiasm if you have purpose and all these things that's a good thing to have inside but that's not deep enough that's not what I'm really asking here is the quality of our lives determined by your present inner enjoyment or by our future proven achievement and by future achievement I mean proven achievement I mean eternal achievement I mean achievement that someday when we stand before Christ to be judged Jesus will look back and say now that was an achievement that mattered that's echoing into eternity that's what I mean by this statement so so how do you determine the quality of life because a lot of Christians even a lot of Christian teachers maybe I've even emphasized some things that make it sound this way that that what matters is the inner life and it does matter the truth is is if we commit ourselves to the will of God we'll end up having a better inner quality best life possible inwardly but that's not really what the quality of a life is determined by it's determined by what does God see and say when I have to stand before him in judgment and, and, and folks if we're fearing judgment if we're fearing it we need to make some adjustments in our life because we ought to be looking forward to judgment we ought to be living in such a way that we're so completely devoted to Christ and devoted to the people he puts in our life and the, using the talents and gifts and experiences that he's given us we're so sold out to Christ and to the good of others that that we don't even think about judgment other than you know when it comes that'll be cool I, 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 things I forgot about maybe Jesus will bring up and that's good but if we're fearing judgment <laughs> that's like the, the red, red light on your dashboard you need to make some changes in your life that's God's loving warning if you're uncomfortable with the idea of judgment alright let me go on what does it feel like now what does it feel like to be an individual that has the power of God resting on your life. What does it feel like to have the favor of God on your life? Here's Paul's own words when he first came to the Corinthians. He says, I came to you, here it is again, that word, in weakness with great what? Fear and trembling. Now, I'm sure all of us in here have experienced fear. You can't live in this world and not experience fear. <laughs> but maybe not all of us have experienced fear to the degree that we were literally trembling usually we have to be startled by something but maybe some of us have that is not a pleasant state of mind that is not a pleasant emotional condition living in fear is a grueling way to live it's grueling we hate it and being fearful enough that we're literally trembling is in most of our minds not acceptable but Paul says that's that's when he came to the Corinthians far from feeling cool and calm and collected and don't worry be happy <laughs> he was so scared that he was trembling will you bear with a little foolishness on my part for a minute how, how many just don't don't do it Randy just stay on target how, how many would like to hear a little bit of a story you're kind okay 30 years ago when uh, I started this church my Baptist church of seven and a half years had crumbled in dust and I had a handful of wonderful wonderful people that said Randy you know this vision you have for a new kind of a church we're on board man let's just let's just give it a shot let's go do it and I was you know 
bold and confident, you know, you know that I, I knew I couldn't show any fear or weakness. The truth be told, I was scared to death. I, I had no clue if God was going to work with us, in us, through us. All I knew is that what I was doing was clearly the will of God because it was stated in the Word of God. Jesus said he, he would build his church. Nothing would stop it. He said, go into all the world and be my witnesses. Tell others about me. Make disciples of all nations. So all I knew was that I was doing what God wanted me to do, but I had no confidence at all inside of what was going to happen. I didn't let them see that. This is what you do when you're a leader. You, you kind of fake it sometimes. You're trusting God, and your confidence is in Him, but in yourself, you're scared. And I, I was scared. And there have been seasons throughout the 30 years that, that I've been afraid. Fear and trembling, not a pleasant condition to be in, but it doesn't mean that the power of God's not resting on you or working through you. All right, let's hear what else Paul has to say about his internal condition. What did it feel like to be Paul? We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, and sisters, about the troubles we experienced. We were under great pressure. We've seen that before. So he was feeling stress and pressure inside far beyond our ability to endure. So what is he saying? He's saying that, that the pressure was so bad, I just thought I was going to die. I, I just didn't think I could stand anymore. I'll bet you every one of us in this room been in a situation where we, we, we cry out to God in some way. We say, God, you know what's going on inside me. You can see it. I cannot take any more of this. You, you've got to intervene. You've got to do something. I, I'm, I'm going to die, I think. I can't take any more. That's what Paul was saying. That's how it felt to be Paul. That's how it felt to be the person in whom God's power was resting on and being expressed through. It didn't feel very good, evidently far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself he goes on but this happened that we might not rely on who ourselves but on God who raises the dead wait a minute wait a minute so so Paul you're saying that God allows me to get under so much pressure that as a human being I'm not going to be able to take it I, I'm going to get to the point where I'm going to start thinking crazy stuff that it might be easier to die than to live this way. You, you mean to tell me God's going to allow that to happen to me just to teach me that I need to rely on Him and not on myself? Yes. If you want the power of God to rest on your life. So, God seems to look at things a little differently. Instead of, instead of doing what feels good to us, he tends to do what's best for us. Remember how this started? He said, he said to Paul, you know, you, I don't want you to get conceited, my man. I, I've given you these great revelations, but if I'm going to be able to use you, you've got to stay humble. And to keep you humble, I'm going to allow this thorn in the flesh. You're going to hate it, but I'm not going to take it away. <laughs> when you heard that term, thorn in the flesh... I'll bet you some things came to mind in your life. Maybe even some people came to mind in your life. Maybe some circumstances came to mind in your life. And God's trying to help you to see the thorn as painful and troubling, but good. Because it's going to 
cause our souls to be stretched and our reliance to be deepened on God. And when your reliance is deepened on God, you find he's the one that really raises the dead. When you and I don't have anything left, when we're down and we're out and we rely on him and we cry out to him and we're so weak, we desperately lay hold of him, we find somehow he, he, gets, us, he gets us back on our feet. And let me tell you something, it doesn't feel like you're full of power. You feel like you're just barely able to stink and survive the next 24 hours. But you do... And it turns into a week and a month and a year. And if you stay faithful to God, it transforms you. you. You start becoming a different person than you were before. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. Let's go on. And besides these external matters, there's the daily pressure of my, what kind of concern for all the congregations? anxious this is Greek, Greek word merimnao Jesus talked about it in Matthew you know chapter 6 where he says he says don't worry about anything 6 25 33 don't worry don't worry don't worry Paul the same guy that wrote these words about having anxiety daily he writes five years later to the Philippians <laughs> he says don't be anxious about anything don't worry about anything same Greek word but in everything that happens he says just just make it a matter of prayer and then he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Then he says in, first, uh, in Philippians 4, 11, he says, you know, I've learned to be content in any every situation. Verse four, uh, 13, Philippians 4, he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But here, five years earlier, he says, I was anxious every day. How many of you are warriors? Confession is good for the soul. Let me see your hands. <laughs> okay. How many of you, since you've walked some time with God, you worry a little less? Yeah, see, the Spirit of God's doing good stuff in you. You know how you got to worry a little less? By worrying so much earlier and not being able to escape the circumstance, going through it, seeing that God was with you, and gradually your worry dissipates and your confidence in God increases. That's the way these things work. But we don't necessarily like the way God works, but he does good work in those who are yielded to him. So he was anxious. He was worried. None of, these are, none of these are comfortable feelings. I'm trying to express to you the man that the power of God rested on did not feel comfortable anywhere in his life, outside or inside. That's not the picture we tend to have of the power of God. We're, we're looking for signs and wonders and miracles and you know, boinks on the head and all kinds of coconuts bouncing and things of that nature, but we're not looking at this kind of an existence. And some of us would rather hear anything but this but it's true so let's take a step further overtly supernatural displays of power are powerless to reach the depths of the human heart signs and wonders have a purpose but they can't reach the human heart all signs and wonders can do is capture the attention let, let me give you a second statement they were powerful, meaning the signs and wonders, the overt miracles, signs and wonders, they are powerful to authenticate a God-sent messenger and message. If you study Scripture carefully, you'll find that there's only about a 185-year period in all of biblical history. We get the impression that miracles were happening every day, signs and wonders every day. Absolutely untrue. Out of the approximately 4,000 years genealogically recorded in Scripture, you have about 185 where there was miracles and things like that occurring, and it's actually far less than that when you look specifically. You've got the age of Moses and Joshua, miracles were occurring in abundance, signs and wonders. You've got the age of Elijah and Elisha. Again, God's authenticating. These are his spokesmen giving forth his word. Then you have the age of Christ and the apostles. And after the apostles, there is a precipitous drop of signs and wonders and miracles. In fact, 
We are warned by Jesus himself in Matthew 24, 24. He said the next wave of signs and wonders will be demonic. They will be deceptive. They will be extraordinarily dangerous. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 adds to that. It says it will be an entity, an entity called the Antichrist that will do the next wave of signs and wonders. Revelation 13, 13 and 14 says the same thing. And so signs and wonders, they're powerful to authenticate this person is God's messenger and this is God's message. But the Bible's complete. God doesn't do signs and wonders just to do signs and wonders. And that's why the signs and wonders have dropped precipitously since the completion of Scripture and the end of the apostolic age. Don't, don't be children in your understanding, says Paul, but be wise. Let me give you one more. They can, meaning the signs and wonders, they can convince the soul something might be from God, signs and wonders, but they cannot convert a soul to God. But the kind of power I'm talking about, it can, and it does convert a soul to God. Because it's seen in human weakness. It's seen in human brokenness. It's seen in human beings that are not being rewarded in any way, shape, or form in this life, but they are so dedicated to this God that they know that revealed himself in Christ and went to a cross for them. They are so committed to loving other people unconditionally that as people observe them going through all the hardships and sustaining their devotion to this truth, to this book called the Bible, to this God that gave us this revelation, that it penetrates to the heart, at least for those whose hearts are not altogether stoned. It's the real power of God. Signs and wonders can get your attention. They can't reach your heart. Let me share one last verse. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we already looked at it one time. It says, but we have this treasure, meaning the message of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. <laughs> I asked you at the start. I said, how many in here want the power of God? to rest on their life almost every hand went up now remember God's looking in my heart in your heart do you still feel that way do you still want Randy I, I don't care what life dishes I want the power of God resting on my life I don't care what I got to th go through I don't care how heartbroken I may feel I, I don't care how much pressure I must endure. I don't care how much insults persecute you. I don't, I don't really care. Randy, I put my hand up at the beginning. I want the power of God to rest on my life so that it can work through my life and make its way into the life of others. I said it at the beginning. I still say it now. Even if I get a thorn messenger to rattle my chains and make my life as miserable as Paul's did, I'm going to count on the life to come and I'm going to stay faithful, faithful, to this God that went to the cross to show who he is. <laughs> I'm so tempted to ask you to raise your hands again, but that's not fair. God sees whether our hands are raised in our heart or not. I hope all the hands that went up in the beginning are still, still in there now, but I want you to have a mature, realistic understanding of what the power of God looks like. Because some of us, we've got the power of God resting on us, but we're so confused because of the stuff rattling in our lives. We, we don't feel that we can be useful to God. And God's just waiting for us to step out on the battlefield. The power is there. We just have to vulnerably, humbly, dependently step out. Let, let's just end with prayer. Let's do that. Father, you, you, you see that we, 
we want so much to experience your power, to have your power resting on us, to be channels of your power, but you also see how fragile we are, how scared we are, how unsure we are. May your spirit just raise our confidence and our reliance in you that we can end this life with eternal achievements, uh, eternal achievements. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.